Welcome to the Business of Software podcast, where we share talks from our conferences and discussions with software people that will make you think. You can find out more at businessofsoftware.org. Hello and welcome to episode 48 of the Boss Podcast. I'm Kirk Bailey and I am very pleased to present to you the final episode of the podcast for 2020 before we take a break for the Christmas holidays and prepare for the twists and turns that 2021 has in store for us. We here at Boss wanted to round off the year on a high and there's no better an honour than to welcome Peldi Gilzoni to the podcast. Peldi has been attending Boss conferences since 2010 and has spoken several times. In his talks, Peldi updates the Boss community on the story of his company Balsamic and the ups and downs that come with running a growing bootstrapped SaaS company. They are archetypal boss talks, honest, full of insight, and give you a peek behind the curtain at the inner workings of a successful SaaS company. In this talk from Boss USA 2018, he shared another honest update about his worries in Balsamic's milestone 10th year. On realising he was still too integral to the business, Pelde started the Winter 2018 Injected Turbulence Project, then delegated product design and engineering management, deleted Slack and Twitter from his phone, and stopped watching their internal wiki. Happy listening. Thank you, Mark, for inviting me to speak again and uh, share my latest batch of mistakes with you. Um, so this was the title of the talk. It's kind of a, we didn't really know what to call this talk, so we gave it this name. So we'll try to find some other titles during the talk. So the first one is, ready for another group therapy session? Uh, if you've seen me speak before, you know how it really, it's a bonding experience uh, for everybody in this room. So I hope you're ready. Um, all right, previously on Desperate Housewives, um, this is where we left off. I spoke in London. I don't know how many people uh, saw that talk. But we talked about how we had this 25-person company, and we were still flat, and we had come up with this way to work uh, collaborative with no managers, and uh, we had projects and teams and people on projects, and people have different roles within the teams, sort of like what Mikey was saying, but much less organized, of course, and in a very balsamic way. Um, and so we were like, yay, it's going to work. Uh, yeah, right. Um, so that, that could be a title for this talk. Um, so, oh, let me remind you a little bit of this uh, slide from 2012, which uh, it never really took off, but I still, I'm trying to push it some more. So the idea is that people think that learning is like a straight line, the red line that you see there, right? You, you learn, you learn, and you get better. But really, I think that it's more an up and down where you think you know what you're doing, and all of a sudden you realize how much there is to learn, and you go down, and you're, you know, really sad. And then you start learning again, your confidence goes up again. And, and I... These are the times where I've spoken uh, a boss in a different time, and, and here we are right now. <laughs> so, um, so that explains kind of my, uh, my on, uh, on board, on walk on music. Uh, that's kind of how I feel right now. So, yay. Uh, you know how sometimes here they have a, a, a stool, or uh, Spolsky had a desk, you know, and the lights go low, and... Yeah, so I asked Mark if we could get a therapy couch, but uh, it wasn't available. So, but you know, get ready. So let's set the stage. Um, Balsamic turned 10 this year. Yay! Um, which is amazing, amazing. I never thought it would happen. I was always dreaming that it might happen. Since the beginning, my goal has been to uh, build a long-lasting company and this double digit was kind of in my mind for the last nine years, right? Um, and we did it, and it kind of hit me. Uh, because, okay, now what? What do we do now? Um, coincidentally, um, I was uh, a few months ago doing some uh, personal accounting, and uh, I added up all the dividends and the salary and the royalties that I got from Balsamic over the 10 years. And uh, I've made 10 million euros out of this little company. And, and I mean, it's, it's not, it, I'm just saying, because it's weird, you know, it was never the, it was always a consequence, not a motivator for me. But it's, I have reached what people called 
financial independence, which is such a foreign concept to me. No one in my family or anybody really that I know has had this happen to them, and so I really have no idea how to deal with this. Um, meanwhile, my son, who was, has to be in every slide deck, it's a, sort of a family rule, um, he's, turning, he's turning 13 now, and he only has five years of school before he goes to college somewhere. So we're going to be empty nesters in just five years. You know, it's going to fly by. And uh, my wife and I are building a house in the countryside in Italy with the idea that it's going to be our retirement home. And we're going to have rabbits and chickens and uh, bees. And uh, uh, so, you know, that's going to be ready next year. Hmm. So, you know, this is how I think of being an entrepreneur. I'm, I'm sure many of you agree. It's this, like Sisyphus, you're pushing the boulder up the hill, and then it rolls back, and you're answering one more email, one more email, and then 10 more emails arrive, right? Now, all of a sudden, I'm like, wait a minute. I don't actually need to work anymore. That's weird, but I like to work. Anyways, you'll see. So this, call, this talk could have been, you've made it. Now what? And I can see a lot of you in the crowd. <laughs> um, I get it, I get it. This is totally awkward, <laughs> totally awkward. But, but I feel like if anyone is gonna make a fool out of themselves and talk about these awkward things, I'll do that for you. So, because um, if you're successful, this might happen to you. I mean, the, you're dreaming of making it, and then you'll see, um, you know, it's not as easy. So, uh, We've lasted a decade as a company, right? Now what do we do? I've been thinking, how can we last another decade? Thinking that I'm not gonna be here forever. There's no way around it. Either, you know, take me out on a stretcher, I'm not gonna be here forever. The market has given us permission to exist for 10 years. It's likely that they'll give, the, the, it'll give us permission to last another 10, or another 20, or another 30, and past my life if we do everything well, if we continue to execute well. And, um, and I go back to this idea that I've struggled with since the beginning of whose company is it really? Because I wanted to start a company of one person. I wanted to be, I wanted to be a micropreneur. One person, just, uh, just me doing a little lifestyle business forever. No stress, few customers happy. You know, that's what I, that was my dream. And then after a while, I had to give up the dream because I was dying too many customers. So I had to, I had to hire employees. So, um, and then more and more and more. And then now I think, well, it's not just my company. All the employees, we have 30 people that depend, their, their families depend on this company to exist. It's their company too. And it gets even worse. We have over a half a million customers who want us to answer their email if they have a, a problem, who want us to build new features, who want us to keep going um, because we're solving a problem for them. It is also their company. I feel like a moral obligation to keep this thing going uh, as long as uh, we possibly can. Um, and so I realized that I think it still all revolves too much around me. It's been 10 years. It should be better than this. And so the next question I, I ask myself is, okay, but really, I, I had this feeling that it's, all, it's too much about me, but what am I really needed for? Uh, what is it that if I don't do it, things break? And so things were going well. Like I said after my last talk, we were doing well. We were uh, firing all cylinders, very little drama. And so I thought, sure, time to inject some drama. Uh, let's inject some turbulence. And so. I started what I called the winter 2018 inject the turbulence experiment. <laughs> and uh, and I, I wrote this page for the team saying, you know, the fact that it's too much around me, it's a limiting factor in the pursuit of our company's mission. So here's what I'm going to do. I delegated product design, right? The product uh, balsamic wireframes is my baby. I've designed every single feature of it. I'm super proud of it. I think that it's major reason for our, for our success, that it's easy to use, people love it. I'm not going to do that anymore. And that 
it was really hard for me to give up, but I realized that I can't do it. Should, someone else should do it uh, better than me. Engineering management, another thing that I was good at, and uh, I'm able to keep a pace. I do a lot of the things that uh, Mikey uh, mentioned without any numbers, so uh, again, very disorganized, but I'm able to get good output out of all the engineers. Again, I couldn't do that anymore. Uh, I stopped watching the whole wiki. I would get a notification anytime any employee touched any wiki page, right? And so I knew what everybody was doing. Very, I would get you know, 50 of these uh, or more a day. Done, turned it off. Same for all the other notifications. Pivotal Tracker is our kind of a, like our Jira. Trello, GitHub, I don't know any commits anymore. I don't know anything anymore. I decided to turn everything off. I even left a bunch of Slack channels for different projects, different teams. Basically, I cl closed my eyes. And I said, why am I doing all these things at once? It's pretty reckless to do it all at once, but I want to see how it feels if I'm, not, uh, if I'm not involved into the day to day operation of the company. And also, I want to know what will break first. <laughs> and I, I told the team, keep calm and carry on. And you know, we can do it. You know, the uh, the uh, feminist uh, poster I was trying to uh, uh, not doing a good job. <laughs> Anyways, um, it should be a good test. Don't, uh, and said, I'm going on vacation next week. I'm uninstalling Slack. I don't want to, you know, good luck. All at once, after 10 years of doing all the work, you know. Um, so two weeks later, I felt like this. I was the eye shot, but like with my ears on the ground, because I was terrified that something was going to break and I wasn't going to notice. Um, right? And so it was this very tense um, state of mind where my biggest fear was that we were going to be maybe 10% slower, 10% lower quality, which are things that are hard to detect, but will kill the company in two years. Right? We can't afford that. But how do I detect that? Um, I went on a Twitter and Slack rehab. That, this was actually great. Uh, that hole that you see in the middle of the bottom, that was Slack, <laughs> gone. Uh, I, I quit Facebook, and I removed Twitter from the phone, and I added New York Times and Wall Street Journal instead. And that was great, because for 10 years, maybe some of you can relate to this. How many times have you done this, where you go to Twitter, you search for your brand, and you scroll, and maybe you like, I've been doing this, seriously, four times a day for 10 years. It's, it's a drug. It's a total drug. And so, gone. Twitter is gone. This was a good side effect. I never got an email anymore. <laughs> Inbox zero every day. <laughs> yes. Um, and then I'm like, wait a minute. People ask me, how in a flat company, you're remote, you're distributed, how do you know if people are working, they're at home? And I used to re reply, you just know, you just know. Actually, you don't know. If you don't watch all the wiki and all the notifications, I have no idea if they're even working at all. Uh, and that was weird. Like, oh, I see why people do these OKRs or whatever things that I hate. Because uh, really, I have no idea. Then there was this thing where you know, we're, all, we're not hierarchical. We're flat. But really, we're not flat because I manage everybody. That's kind of the idea. Uh, and 30 people is a, is a lot. And, um, and you know what they say is, well, at some, some point, the CEO has to step back and take a strategic role so they have time to do visioning and look at the market and uh, not be involved in the day-to-day -day of the operation. But if I'm the only manager, who's flying the plane? Right? If the pilot went back and, and, and read a book during the plane, you wouldn't be so happy right? <laughs> during the flight. Um, and then I realized that there was a lot I needed to coach. Uh, I saw how people were working without my day-to-day -day input, and I realized, whoa, we, uh, we're way behind. I even had to write a wiki page, how to do research on any topic, because I would see people getting stuck for weeks on a simple research because they just got lost in the, in the internet, right? You can find the infinite amount of things to read about any topic, right? So how do you filter? How do you do it quickly? So I started doing sort of these things, and then, I was like, okay, great. Uh, what am I supposed to do? Why am I getting paid the most and I do nothing? That's weird. 
Um, so a couple of times I did fall off the wagon. I went back and I did a little coding and then I did a little wireframing, you know. Um, but overall, uh, it was going okay. One month later, I got one new employee who said, since you delegated engineering management to someone else, everybody's so much happier. <laughs> Great job. Mm. Thanks, I guess. Uh, great, oh, I'm glad. Um, the not knowing what people are doing, you get used to that. I have no problem with that. I trust my employees, they're all badasses. I don't need to check on them. That, I, I spent too, many, too much time um, checking for no reason. I think that I did it because I'm interested in everything, not because I wanted to make sure that people were working. I started changing my answer not fast enough from I can do this to, for you to I'll help you get it done with coaching resources, tools, and time, right? That's the proper answer. It's hard to do. I still say, come on, let me just do it in five minutes, right? <laughs> um, but then we saw people started stepping up and, uh, and really um, getting it. And they're like, oh, crap, we have a problem. Let's, uh, let's see how I can help um, uh, fill that void, right? The idea of uh, having a clear schedule, which was one of the goals, did not happen at all. I had a lot of meetings, and most of my meetings ended up being the one-on-one -on -one quarterly meetings that we do, which is where each employee makes a, looks at the last three months and makes a plan for themselves for the next three months, um, and talks about the challenges and everything. So in the end, all, was that, all that I was left with was hearing people bitching and moaning about the problems that they have, which was interesting. Still set all the salaries because we're not even going to go there. We, the team is like, no, please, don't, don't spring this on us. We'll, we, you know, we'll deal with that later. And then we see that communication between teams starts to break down. You're all, you're all nodding like, of course, you idiot. Of course, it was going to happen. But to me, this was a surprise. And then somebody in support was like, how about we need a product manager? Because I don't know what the dev team is uh, going to prioritize. And the, the dev team is like, I don't know what the support people want, uh, what the customers want first. How do I prioritize uh, the, the roadmap? Like, oh, yeah. I guess uh, there, that's, there is such a thing as a product manager. And I, I guess I was doing it without knowing. But overall, nothing major broke uh, a month into it. Two months into it, something major broke. <laughs> Um, it was bad. It was uh, a disaster. Uh, we uh, deleted about 12,000 projects for people on our web app. People who entrusted us with their data, with their work of weeks and weeks. Poof. I mean, ten year, a company of 10 years that makes a mistake so grave. You know, I, I told my wife this could be it. We had a good run. You know, uh, but instead, uh, I, you know, I could do a whole talk just about that. But um, instead, we survived. We survived. But as the weeks went by, I started sort of monitoring my feelings because I had nothing to do. So that's what you do. <laughs> uh, and so I started having frustration because I would see things getting done, not in the way that I would have done, or not as fast. Or, but I also had to bite my tongue a lot because I really don't know how to do this sort of coaching without interfering yet. Loneliness, um, you have to sort of be the rock for the whole company. And uh, I, couldn't, I couldn't vent to anyone because they were all part of the same experiment, uh, right? I didn't want to influence the experiment that way. And uh, plus I switched to working from home a couple of years ago and I always say that working from home is great for the first couple of years. Uh, and then it kind of gets lonely. I do have an office mate, but she's kind of a slacker. Um, she sleeps a lot on the job. And uh, uh, anyways, uh, and then I got bored. And I'm like, oh, crap. This is not a feeling I've ever associated with balsamic, and I don't like it. I cannot be bored with my mission in life. That is wrong. So I feel guilty. I feel guilty. I was not enjoying myself anymore. And it was a problem of my own doing. And I was feeling like I was abandoning my baby. 
And it was very, I was very ambivalent about the whole thing the whole time. It was, it was pretty tough. I started developing some uh, curious side effects. I noticed that I started baking bread. <laughs> Never in my life I would have thought of doing that. Every week I would make bread. I, even, I took a bathroom in the, uh, in the house and I painted it. I put some crown molding on and I printed a bunch of pictures and bought a bunch of frames. Who does that? <laughs> That's insane. That's insane. I bought a plant. I bought a plant. And then I bought another plant. And then I fixed the plants in the terrace. I mean, what? What's happening to me? I decided I was going to rebrand. Sure. <laughs> whatever. I'm not a designer, but I, whatever. I got time, right? I went to uh, Dublin for a conference, and I was all alone and lonely. And I said, oh, maybe I'll go to a museum. And I went to this museum, and I went to this exhibition. And I just started crying in front of a painting because it was so beautiful. What? Who is this person? I kept thinking, what has happened to me? I started taking pictures of flowers. <laughs> I'm like, something is weird, right, you guys? I mean, clearly with the bread, except there's a creative volcano inside that needed some sort of output, right? I even added several Pinterest boards. <laughs> several. Now I'm like, am I becoming a woman? What's happening? Um, then, um, I even did the unthinkable. I thought, maybe I could start a second company. For just like five seconds, and I was like, stop it, stop it. it is, you can't think that. can't think that. Um, I forgot to mention one thing. This is a, a website that doesn't exist anymore, but it was my website about, it was in the 90s, the number one uh, Ultimate Frisbee-related website in the world. And I invented it, I made it, I made it grow. For 12 years of my life, Ultimate Frisbee and this website was my life. I had sponsors, I had an ad network, I built myself, I, everything that I learned in college about computer science, I would throw it into here. It was huge, because this was before Google, right? So everything, it was huge. I had interviews, et cetera, et cetera. And for a long time, I thought, this is it. This is my life's calling. I'm gonna do this for the rest of my life. For 12 years, I remember my dad asking me about it, I was like, that's it, look, he started to make money, this is my career already. And then my son was born, and poof, all interest in this vanished immediately. So I know that there's this 12-year thing where nothing is forever, even if you think you're in the middle of it and you think this is my life's calling. I've had this experience already. And so then I'm like, oh crap, that was 12 years, this is balsamic, does it mean that in two years I'm gonna get bored with balsamic? More guilt. More shame, because all I preach is, I'm going to be doing this forever. How can I have these feelings of not doing this forever, right? My whole thing is, no, we're not startups. We're not going to sell ever. We're not, you know, we are more like the butcher, right? Um, so it was bad. It was bad. Then some infighting started happening inside some teams. I sort of lost control. Um, and then I realized that, you know, another drug that I have is every time I'm kind of sad, I just get something done. You know, I'll make a web page, I'll write a blog post, I'll do something, and it makes me feel better. It's my trusted source of endorphins to feel better. And now I wasn't letting myself working on anything day to day. Uh, I shouldn't do that. And so I didn't even have this drug. And then I had all these sleepless nights because I had all these meetings with the employees. And for them, they were just venting their challenges and frustrations because we asked them to every quarter. But for me, I, it was deep because it meant that something was broken. It meant that something I should fix, but now I wasn't even allowed to fix it. And so I would lose sleep over it. For th they wouldn't even notice that they said something minimal. But for me, it was not sleeping. So in the end, I burnt out, totally burnt out. And you know what, I, you know what that means? You don't want to get out of bed in the morning. I used to take, I started taking two hour naps every day after lunch. Not good. Um, just like uh, Jason Eckenroth, who spoke in London, says, you know, you feel tenderized. And see, there I am right there. <laughs> that's, uh, that's how I felt. Um, so after four months, I said, you guys, let's wrap this up. <laughs> Great news was a success. <laughs> uh, I know what the company needs. Uh, 
But actually, um, you know, when I, I, every time I come and speak here, I say, I don't know what I'm doing. It got worse. Now I know that I'm bad at what I'm doing. Um, I wish I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, I realized that I had spent too much time learning stuff on my own and not enough time disseminating what I had learned to the team, um, which is kind of egoistical, you know. Um, too much time doing stuff and not enough time letting other people do it or teaching other people how to do it. I ran into this uh, video of the co-founder of Buffer, and he says that the toughest feedback he has ever, he's ever received was when uh, his other co-founder, Joel, who spoke here, uh, told him, you know, you're really good at getting stuff done, but the fact that you get all the stuff done is actually hurting the team long term. You need to do less stuff, you need to do less of what you're good at um, for the sake of the team. And that, no one wants to hear that. You think you're killing it, but actually you shouldn't do what you're good at sometimes. That kind of blew my mind. I realized that I had started this company to build a product, but really now, I, someone else had to do that. I had to focus on building a business. I had to be a business guy, and uh, it still sounds weird. And then I'm like, wait a minute, the CEO thing, that's not a very fun job. Uh, you know, it's, it's got a cliche. You like saying that you're a CEO, but really, it's kind of a shitty job. So that's it. So I was like, this is it. This is what I'm going to say in Boston in a month. This summer, all summer, I thought, this is going to be my talk. It's going to be pathetic. I have no answers whatsoever. It's going to be great. People are going to love it. Yeah, I know. Imagine if that was it, right? So then I was like, I can't do this to people. That's just such a downer. So let's see. Let's see if we can make it better. So some more time has passed. And the team uh, started getting the message. After I posted that uh, wrap-up page, people totally saw through it and they're like, we got serious problems. And so uh, this uh, woman, Natalie, our CFO, who's been with us forever, she sort of took the initiative to organize the whole company, except for me, to go through what I was frustrated with and see if uh, they could come up with a fix. Because they realized that I, I couldn't help. I was too burned out. I was, was kind of useless. And so they uh, identified tension points. And you know, not all teams feel unified or able to operate, make decisions, prioritize. And so they gave me homework. And then they made other projects to explore different things that we could do to solve these things. So that was great. One of the things that I realized was that what the company needed from me at this point was a, a roadmap document every six months that sort of uh, explains to everybody why each team has a right to exist and what they're working on and how it all fits together. I never did this formally, but um, we did that. That's easy. Then I also took back some uh, creative projects. Um, for instance, we decided to uh, refactor our websites. We have three, four subdomains, putting them all together into one thing. So this is a, kind of like a cross-teams cross project that no one has the time to do, but I had time to do, and I enjoy doing this kind of stuff. And so I took this on, and this made me feel better because I, I felt productive again. Then thank God for GDPR. <laughs> Nobody ever said that, but I, I love it because it gave me something to do with a deadline, and it was important. And I had to talk to everybody on the team. What are we saving in this database? What are, why? Blah, blah, blah. And we did that, and it was awesome. <laughs> Yay, GDPR. Then I uh, bought an office. We know, we're all remote, right? Uh, we have an office in Bologna, but barely anybody goes to it. So why not buy a bigger office? Um, we're 10 years old, and um, I think that we deserve to have a place that we call home, even if we don't really go to it. I went to the architect and I said, you got to build me the best office. No one's going to go to it. Uh, that's the future of architecture. Trust me. <laughs> she's, she's like, okay, whatever. But this is a million details, a million decisions, and I just, I'm doing it on my own. That's what all those Pinterest boards were for. Um, with the architects, and it's super creative, and I'm learning a lot, and I love it. So I'm doing that. Uh, I stopped doing all those one-on-one -on -one quarterlies. The quarterlies were not review quarters. We call them coaching, professional development uh, meetings. And so some people do it with other people as a coach. You hire yourself a, a, 
a coach inside the company to help you through. And uh, I said, you guys, I can't do this anymore. How about we stop until the end of 2018? I do no more quarterly. And so all of a sudden, I wasn't hearing all the challenges anymore. It's not that they've gone away. I just don't hear them. But right now, that, I can't take them. So uh, we're taking a break like that. Uh, I joined the book club so that I could get out of the house uh, and uh, have a little intellectual stimulation outside the company. And, uh, and uh, that's been fun. That's my book club right there. We have a little fun fact. The woman there is a former Miss Italy. So she, we, have a, we even have a VIP in the book club. Um, I picked up woodworking with hand tools only so that it's nice and slow and I stay away from the computer longer. Uh, I built a workbench. Ta-da! It's horrible, but it's mine and I made it with my hands. Finally, instead of flipping bits for a living forever, you work with your hands. It's super fun. And then I hired this sadist <laughs> as a personal trainer every morning. Eight o'clock, ding dong, I'm here, and, I, um, and he's all happy, and uh, I finally am um, taking care of my body, and uh, uh, he's all happy. I, I can't even breathe. Um, but, so I feel horrible while he's there. Uh, I, I sweat for another couple hours after he leaves, then I shower, and then I, then I feel good the rest of the day. Um, and then I was like, maybe I should start this succession planning, whatever, I don't even want to say the word because it's feel, I still feel so bad about it. But then I realized, you know, nothing is forever. I have to do this at some point. Maybe I'll do it now and I'll execute it when I'm 80, hopefully. Maybe I'll do, you know, but you got to be ready. You got to be ready. It's going to happen to all of you uh, business owners. So what is the process for finding that new lily pad to jump to? How do I come up with a 10-year plan? Maybe we hire a product manager and someone for HR to do the things that we, we have issues with. Maybe I hire or promote a new CEO and I become the product manager. What are my options? I don't know. And then if I have to leave, at some point if I want to leave, what are the options? You know, sell is very much a four-letter word to me still. Uh, I, selling uh, means killing the culture. Uh, means killing everything you've built. That's how I feel right now, but who knows. Uh, to me, a much uh, better outcome would be that the company, that I leave the company, still own it, and the company does so much better without me, and I just get the checks, just like uh, Mikey was talking about. To, to me, that's the ultimate success, because you've built something bigger than you that can outlast you. Uh, so there are options. And then there's this. What, Okay, what do I do when I leave? What will be my identity? This thing is, has been my whole identity for 10 years, and who knows how much longer, what happens next? And I, I always go back to uh, Gail Goodman, who came here, and I don't know if she remember, during the Q&A, she had this very moving moment where she was like, how long can you be a former? You know, her badge said former CEO, because she had sold her company and she still hadn't found her new identity, and she was struggling, struggling. Then I saw this uh, tweet by Justin Jackson um, about how many friends are getting burnt out of digital work, and they do permaculture, building, woodworking, photography, buying coffee shops, right? I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Maybe I'm not alone with these issues. Then I stumbled into this. I watched a lot of YouTube the last few months. I, <laughs> I had time. I stumbled on this, uh, on this uh, TED talk about um, the longest study on happiness. So they, they uh, studied hundreds of people for, for 70 years, longest ever study. Um, and uh, some started, they were rich, they were poor, they were a mix of, uh, of different people. And when they started, they all wanted money and fame. And then uh, over time, they, they checked who's the happiest. And the, the number one, uh, for sure, reason uh, for happiness is the number and quality of your relationships. <coughs> Nothing else really matters. Um, and I was like, huh, OK. I have no friends right now. <laughs> that, uh, I got some catching up to do. Um, and so very, very nervously, I decided to reach out. 
So I uh, sent this email to about a dozen people um, who had either sold their business or made it, who were financially independent to find out more. And the, with the excuse of having a talk to write about, uh, I could have these conversations to people. And I was terrified about sending these emails because you're the boss, you're supposed to have all the answers. This is being very vulnerable with people you look up to, right? Well, you, all you want to say is like, it's going great, it's going great. Actually, no, right? So it was a really scary thing to do, but I did. And I got to speak to a bunch of people, fantastic conversations, very intimate, too intimate to share, unfortunately. But I got some quotes from uh, some people that I want to share with you. So first I spoke with Neil Davidson, who started this company, this uh, conference, sorry. Yes, yes, yes. And um, uh, co-founder co and CEO of Redgate, and then uh, after 15 years uh, uh, left and now uh, does uh, painting. He's an artist, fantastic. He went to university for it and uh, uh, completely new career. And then um, he, he uh, had some uh, uh, nuggets of wisdom for me. This was actually a quote from another boss talk. This is all very self-referential, I hope it's okay. Uh, Clayton Christensen came up here and said, sometimes in your life you have to execute, other times you have to explore. So give yourself that permission sometimes, it's just, it's normal. If you burn out and hate your job, you're not doing the company any favors, right? And you're like, oh, crap, crap you're right, you know? Um, and then we were talking about my options. It was like, maybe you need a CEO, no, a CEO. Just keep the title, just don't do the job. And then uh, if you want the title, you can do whatever you want. Uh, these titles don't mean much. There's different kinds of uh, CEO and CEO. Okay, interesting. Then I spoke with Michael Pryor, uh, co-founder of uh, Fog Creek and um, CEO of Trello. And he sold Trello last year, I think, to Atlassian. Still works there. And I asked why, and he said, still doing exactly what I enjoy doing. I'm scared that if I stopped, I'd feel unimportant, and honestly, I'd have nothing else to do. After a while, fishing will get pretty boring, right? So that's, that's interesting, so that's, that's why he, he's still working there. He also pointed me to this white paper called Life After an Exit, How Entrepreneurs Transition to the Next Stage. And um, I recommend it, it's got, it talks about, um, you know, a loss of identity and uh, community, and, this is an interesting one, how uh, family, friends, and advisors actually change their relationship with you because they know you're incredibly wealthy all of a sudden. And, and it is awkward. I've, I've seen that uh, happen in my own uh, experience. Then I called uh, Derek Sivers. Um, uh, he started CD Baby in the 90s and grew it and then sold it and then now is more of a TED talk, TED speaker, uh, thinker, philosopher guy. We had an hour-long phone conversation because he loves the phone. That's awesome, I think. Uh, and um, here's a few quotes. Uh, I, could, I could have a whole talk just about that conversation. But uh, he says, in hindsight, I would have set, uh, set up more hierarchy. When I quit, there were 85 employees mostly dumping their problems on me. Sounds familiar. Um, when you feel very frustrated, don't mistakenly think that there are only two options. At some point he was so frustrated he said, I'm either gonna shut it down or sell it. And that's it, these are my only two options. And then his friends were like, sleep on it for a few days. And he's like, oh, maybe I could uh, relocate it or I could change this process or I could do this. Or I could hire a gray hair manager and he did. He tried for six months to do that, it didn't work out. But uh, So there are more options than you think. Uh, he was terrified that his tombstone was going to say, here lies Derek Sivers, who made City Baby and not much else, right? Uh, and so he, we talked about how you can transition to a new, um, a new career uh, and making it at a, as a side move. Uh, for instance, for him, he's becoming a speaker, and it's not like he's starting from scratch. People like to ha listen to him speak because his resume says he created and sold CD Baby. And so, you know, you already have experience that you can draw on for your next career. It doesn't have to be a restart. And then he talked about this book, The, uh, the Power, The 48 Laws of Power. One interesting thing that he said is, sure, after you, uh, after you made it, you can do whatever you want. And often the temptation is to do things that are easy. He said that he tried to start some businesses, but as soon as he hit some, uh, some 
roadblock, he will like, be like, I don't want to deal with this again. I'm, forget it. I'll start something else, right? And so here, uh, one of the laws says, if you attract attention, it kind of brings the best out of you. So it's not a great thing to want attention in general, but it actually has the side effect of making, making you perform at a higher level. And that's exactly why I'm here speaking to you right now. Uh, I don't want to talk about any of this, but uh, it forced me to uh, clarify my thoughts and reach out to these people. And uh, then I spoke with Jason Akenroth, um, the tenderized guy. He loves this book. I don't know if you know it. Called Traction, Get a Grip on Your Business. It's for people who are kind of struggling, who feel like they lost control on their business. He says that he wished he had read this uh, while he was still uh, owning the company that he eventually sold. Uh, if you haven't seen his talk, it's about these sort of uh, post-exit uh, feelings, and uh, um, it's from London 2017. I highly recommend it. And also he says something that stuck with me, which is you only feel as wealthy as your cash flow. So if you know that more money is coming in in the future, you feel great. The minute you sell, now you're like, oh, crap, this is, my, this is all that I can use for the rest of my life and my children. And so you become this sort of Scrooge because no more money is coming in, right? So it's not about how much you have. It's how much is coming in. That was interesting. Then I spoke with Joe Spolsky, the other co-founder of this uh, conference, and uh, uh, found the Fog Creek and sold it, found the stock overflow, and then... Um, Trello, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, he's made it several times over in his career. And uh, he challenged me right away. He said, okay, you're struggling. How about, tell me, why do you like bootstrapping? Why did you choose to bootstrap? I was like, whoa, that's a nice challenge. And I was like, well, I like the, being my own boss, not, you know, being able to make mistakes without too many consequences, and uh, learning a lot. And he said, well, do that. Just continue to do that somehow. Figure out how to do that. It's like, oh, interesting. And then again, he said, you have to have a real plan for you what to do when you quit. You can't just say, I'm going to travel, because uh, what you're really going to do is stay home and reread it all day. <laughs> and then he said, um, you know, you've had a large impact already, and you think the only way to top that is to go bigger. But it's also about your personal journey. It's got to stay interesting. It's got to keep evolving. It has to keep you feeling like you've lived every year of the few years we were given. That was it was nice. It kind of gives you permission to, okay, you know, it is about you too. It's not just about the employees and the company. And it has to um, fulfill you too. And then this, uh, I don't have time, but I'll, I'll do it quickly. He gave me the algorithm for making friends in your 40s. Take a picture of this because I'm not going to talk about it. But this is awesome. This is just what I needed. So I'm going to start doing that uh, quite a bit. And it's worked for him. Uh, he's made so many friends in the last few years with this uh, simple algorithm. Then I spoke with DHH of Basecamp, right? They, everybody knows them. And uh, they took a very Basecamp approach of saying, it's my company. I do whatever I want. I'm going to make it whatever I want. I don't care about anything else. You know, the design is malleable. If you dare it to be, you can reconfigure the company vision, scope, and size. We've made it so that it's basically Jason, uh, Jason and I can get to do whatever we want, what we would love to do even if we weren't working at Basecamp. We carved our roles perfectly that way. Okay. Then I spoke with Natalie and Chris Najil of Wildbit. They spoke, she spoke here last year, two years ago. They have a 17-year-old uh, software company. Uh, they do Postmark, uh, et cetera. And, um, and uh, they had, uh, again, some, some beautiful nuggets. Your employees don't want you to be unhappy, you know. They can see that you're struggling. You're not helping. You're not helping. Um, this was interesting. I asked, what about hobbies? And they're like, ooh, careful. Because if you have a hobby and you get so excited about the hobby, then when you're back at work, you realize what a shitty job you have as a CEO. <laughs> it's so much more fun to, you know, uh, Chris races uh, race cars, right? There's a lot of adrenaline there, not a lot of adrenaline answering emails, you know. And then they were like, it's not fair. Other people get to switch jobs and careers if they want to. Why shouldn't the entrepreneur? Why shouldn't the boss have this freedom in life, right? And then uh, uh, they suggested these two books. I started reading Finish Big. Uh, really good, really good stuff about these, uh, these topics. Um, then I spoke with Jason Cohen. 
And uh, you know him, he started uh, uh, Smart Bear, he sold that, and then he started WP Engine. He came here last year, I think. <clears throat> and uh, he, he hired a CEO. Now he's the CTO, he has no direct reports, kind of the Dharmesh model. He, um, and he's, he says, it's not true that the founder has to run the company forever. There's only very few, Steve Jobs and Jeff Bezos, these are the outliers, they're not the normal. You don't have to follow that same model. Um, and he hired a CEO and I asked him, why not a COO? And he said, because I wanted a, the best COO and those, they don't wanna be COOs anymore, they wanna be CEOs. And so to hire the best person, you have to make him the CEO. And like I said, these titles don't really mean uh, too much uh, once you do them. And then this was the key concept of careful about running away from something versus running towards something. And it's similar to what uh, Mikey was saying, I guess. Um, you know, a lot of people quit or sell because they're burnt out, they hate it, they can't do this anymore. And then you're lost. Instead, if you line something up, just like the other uh, people were saying, then you can get excited about something and, and that's a much better transition. And he says, he has a formula, of course, Jason, Burnout is doing something the company needs and that you might be good at, but you don't enjoy. You have to have all three elements or you're gonna burn out. And so here's a link to his talk from last year where uh, he talks about these things. So let's wrap up. Um, here's what I found. What motivates people to keep going after they've made it. One is actually I haven't made it yet. And this is the butcher. Actually, if you think about it, it's, I think that if the butcher had the chance to, you know, quit and retire early, they would. They're not doing it because they want to, uh, you know, most people don't uh, do it because they want to build a long-lasting business. It's, it's just that they need the money, basically. Uh, then there's those who are in the middle of a five-year project and they want to, I just got to see this through, uh, right? Um, maybe I, uh, when this is over, I'll think about what I do next, but right now, I have this big vision and I want to execute it. Then there's those who are like, I'm never done. I want to see how big I can get. I want to be richest person in the world, you know. Uh, I know a couple of these. Um, and then there's those who say, I managed to carve out my role inside my company. And um, this you have to believe to a point. I, I've noticed from my conversations. It might work for a while, but uh, maybe I'll report back on that. Um, and then there are those who are like, I don't have anything better to do right now. I don't have anything to run towards. Until that shows up, I'm just gonna continue working on this because I enjoy it. So for me, my next three steps are make my job fun again. So I took some more uh, creative projects. Again, I basically stepped back from the brink uh, a little bit. I got involved in some teams uh, more heavily again because I need it to feel good, otherwise it all falls apart. Um, it's not gonna be my full time, uh, not gonna take all my time, but I am uh, I'm doing uh, some productive uh, project stuff. Um, taking care of my mental health with exercise and hobbies. I, on next Tuesday, I start a 60 hour woodworking class in Bologna, I'm super excited, nighttime classes. Um, and then the guy still shows up uh, every morning. And also I'm gonna make new friends. It's a project. I'm gonna use the formula. <laughs> so, uh, so if you wanna be my friend, please <laughs> later come over and uh, we'll meet. Um, and then uh, make balsamic stronger. It doesn't mean I'm leaving, it doesn't mean I'm planning on leaving, but I mean, it means that I realize that this is not the right way to continue. We have to get to that next level where it's not, uh, I'm not required as much. So, Gonna continue working on it with the awesome team. I'm basically following their lead at this point for this next phase. I'm watching what they're talking about. They're having all these meetings and I'm not, I'm not going for, a, for fear of if I say something, it's gonna destroy everything. If I don't say anything, they're gonna think I hate it. You know, so I just don't go to the meetings. Um, and then um, I'm gonna read a bunch of these books that have been recommended and sort of clear my mind that way. Do a lot of introspection. What do I really want to be? Where do I get my kicks from? If it's not from, uh, you know, wh what does Balsamic give me 
that I get so much pleasure from and does it need to be from balsamic or you know, at some point when I retire, what will I do? Then I want to talk to a bunch more people because it worked, made me feel a lot better. Hey, hey, now I have a five-year project to execute. Uh, I found what I can do in the next five years. So the real title of this talk could be that it's actually not that lonely at the top um, if you uh, make an effort and reach out. It was scary to send those emails. It was scary to come here and talk to you about all this stuff. But um, I think it's, it's also worth it. So you guys are smart because you came here. This is the only place in the world where we can talk about these things um, you know, uh, in an intimate way, in a meaningful way, because people have had these experiences or will likely have these feelings and experiences. So good on you for coming here. So, Use the rest of the conference time to really uh, try and, and, and make new connections. Uh, it's what makes people happy in life, we've learned, right? Uh, use me as a, as a meeting point if you want to talk about these things. Come around me. We'll be a roving pack of rich guys. It'll be great. <laughs> um, commiserating with each other. You know. um, thank you. Well done. I'll give you a hug. I'll be you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, fantastic. Um, yeah, uh, we've been talking a little bit about that talk and how it's been going on over the over the year, and uh, just great. I'm so pleased you got so much from Boss as well. <laughs> so keep coming, Peldy. Um, questions. I won't, I won't hog every, everything, Mark. I'm just keen to ask Peldy this. Thank you for coming along and being as honest as, as possible. One of the things that I really struggle with is one of the reasons you set up a company is you get to do the things you like, and you're trying to build the coolest company on the world, and you suddenly realize one day the only person who's not happy at this really cool company and doesn't get to do what they like is you. Yeah. So do you still give yourself, particularly if you're a technical guy, do you still give yourself permission to... To, to do things that you like, even if you can't justify them as a CEO, or do you accept that's part of growing up in life as a CEO, that you don't get to do those anymore? So I, I'm ambivalent about it. For many years, I've kept some things that were fun, right? The, the wireframing of the features was fun and fulfilling, and I, I did that. Um, right now, I have an internal tool that I uh, sort of own uh, the development of. But those are things that are kind of uh, easy to fall back on, while instead I should be doing the freaking CEO job. Um, and so I don't know, I don't know. Maybe if you are good, you train enough people, you put enough processes and structure in place so that you know you sleep well knowing that everything else is taken care of and then you, you do what, what's fun for you. But I'm pretty far away from, <laughs> from that right now. So. I think that there's jobs that everybody has to, somebody has to do them. My default is I'm the servant leader, I'm at the bottom of the pyramid, I will take out the garbage all day so that the badass team can focus on what's important, right? And I did that for 10 years. Um, and, some, and it was fun. Now I can't even take out the garbage, uh, it's pretty sad. So I don't know, the answer is I don't know. <laughs> Good, Bridget. Hi, Feldy. Um, thank you very much. That was really um, incredible to hear all of that um, disclosure, if you like, um, and relate to it. And I'm sure all of us can talk about that in the coffee break as well, about the, the things that really resonated. But and this is, might become a bit meta, but um, one of the challenges that you have if you're running a company and you start to feel that sense of um, disconnect between the perception that everybody has about the success of the company and then how you personally are feeling running it is it's difficult to share that with your team because you don't you don't want to go into a team meeting and say hi guys just like let you know i'm failing i'm failing personally i don't know what i'm doing and um uh, good luck because that's obviously not a good motivating right. message it's no. not a good pep talk <laughs> so as i said to avoid being a bit too meta about it how have you reflected on this year and in building that talk knowing that yeah. if your team are interested, they're going to be watching you right now, right. talking about it. So how yeah. much of this have you disclosed to them? And what do you feel? How are you going to manage that when you get head back to right. work? So um, I try to be pretty transparent with the team uh, always. 
I try to set the bar pretty low and keep it there, there so that they, they, uh, they can expect things like this from me. But I'll be absolutely honest, the reason I'm really nervous about giving this talk is because there's four employees right here, right? It's not about you guys. It's really because I'm springing all this stuff on them and it's going to spread the word. And, and, you know, it's, but to me, that's also an opportunity to start these conversations. And none of it should be a big surprise. Uh, you know, maybe I didn't go into as much detail with them about what I was feeling until now. But to me, sort of, this is uh, something that forces me to sort of come out once a year. So thank you, Mark. This is, for me, that's uh, one of the jobs to be done of this uh, conference. <laughs> so I guess, you know, they, don't, they love me. I love them. We, we, don't, they, we shouldn't keep things from each other, even if they're really tough. And, uh, and uh, overall, you realize that the team kicks ass, and they're going to pick up the slack and even drag you like it's happening for, to me right now. Um, so do it, even if it's hard. Good. Uh, yes. Uh, I, I was at the talk in the UK in 2017 where you were talking about your flat structure and how you organize projects. And we've actually gone a little bit down that path. So uh, I'm curious, when you took your hands off, uh, does the team, st have they still aspired to the same lack of hierarchy and flat structure? And if they didn't, were you prepared for that? Because I, I feel that's something that you yeah. very strongly. Um, so the answer is yes. They're still flat, but they're very much talking about all the confusion, uh, confusing point of our written policies. Because really, there's a big unwritten part about it, which is if this doesn't work, Peldi is there, and he follows everything. When that is gone, it exposed all the limits of what we wrote down and what's still needs to be written down. And so now they're having these meetings to sort of clarify that. Maybe we come up with a DACI or whatever it was called, a system instead. Um, nobody has said we need managers now. Uh, as a culture, uh, we've been very, very proud to uh, be uh, self-organized. And uh, I've been trying to push hint every few years about maybe Maybe what we need is someone who does this sort of managing thing. It's not that bad. But they're like, no, not yet. Maybe we can try these things first. And OK, sure, fine. Uh, maybe it will we'll work. We'll see. we'll see. But no, no, every team, some teams didn't even notice any of this happen. Some teams are kicking ass. They, they're just doing their own thing. They are excellent. They didn't, never needed me anyways. And so they're like, what is this all about, right? Um, so. Depends. Thank you. Gareth, if anyone's looking for someone that knows their onions in terms of coaching, Gareth was COO at Redgate for 10 years. This is free advert, mate. Um, <laughs> and uh, now is um, coaching people. So as long as you're not going to come and put in some kind of pitch to say I'm a coach, there you are, you're endorsed already. Funnily enough, Mark, <laughs> <laughs> I am a coach. And my question to you, Peldi, is do you have one? Um, I've hired Paul Kenny in the past um, on a suggestion from my wife, which is the smart. She should be running the company. Anyways, um, and we did uh, six or seven sessions to answer one question. What is the job of a CEO? Because I really needed to know, like, what am I supposed to be doing? <laughs> and so we defined it and defined it. And, and uh, I'm still kind of executing on what he taught me a couple of years ago. but. He came from the traditional uh, answer, which is, well, you're not supposed to be day to day. I don't think that what he coached me applied to a crazy company like us, where it's one manager with 30 employees. Um, and so, and I don't know that there is a coach that is willing to, uh, to, to uh, figure that out. But I do, I do need, uh, I do feel the need for someone uh, uh, because I, I need to have someone to coach me and to, to vent to that's kind of one step removed. So I, I'll be looking into that again. So that's us packing up for the holidays and the Boss Podcast will be back in the new year with more great talks from Boss Conference. Don't forget to hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to ensure you get a notification for when we return. You can also head over to businessofsoftware.org slash updates 
to receive regular update emails from Boss all designed to help you with your everyday business problems. Thanks for listening to the Business of Software podcast. For more information, go to businessofsoftware.org.